0: i <laughs> This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Howard I want to thank you for giving me your time, and I hope that you learn something new, whether you're an industry veteran or simply want to learn more about energy. And if you want to skip all this preamble and get to the interview, that starts at the four-minute mark. I'll tell you my story with each episode, but the reason I wanted to start this podcast is that simply, I think I can do the best podcast on energy. But Jay, you'd say people get paid to make energy podcasts. Yes, but they always focus on the environment, and global warming. And many come at these technologies with a bit of hostility. For instance, coal bad wind good, nuclear sort of good. I want to focus on energy technology itself, and I want to focus on the business and economic models behind different technologies and industry. And ultimately, I want to have an open conversation about where these technologies fit in the overall mix. Like many of you, I subscribe to the Everything Everywhere all the time outlook on energy. I won't apologize for that and neither should you. So it might sound funny that on my first podcast, when I'm trying to break from the hipster herd, I'm going to be talking about renewables and not lignite scrubber technology on coal plants. Believe me, we'll get to that. So a little bit about me. My wife Ashley and I live in Charlotte and if you're part of the energy industry, you really can't pick a better region to be Than here. I could honestly do years worth of episodes 10 miles from my home, but I promise it won't be a regional program, and you'll see that in good time. I began my career as a TV news producer, and this relates to the topic we're going to discuss today because meteorology is a big component. Now, as a producer, I never found weather that interesting. I really used it as an accordion to stretch out newscasts if I was behind, and I hated writing weather stories. Plenty of rain in the forecast, It'll be wet. And why do TV newscasts report what neighborhoods are out of power? Think about it. You either have power and you're not affected, or you're one of the affected and you can't watch TV. My sister loved weather. And that's probably because she's a meteorologist and gets to be where the action is. She married another meteorologist, and that's why you'll hear me name check the two places where they work during the interview later in the program. Meteorologists are not just TV weathermen, utility industry has been using them for years to help forecast energy demand. So basically, if it's going to be 90 degrees tomorrow, you can bet that all the air conditioners will be on and the demand will be X many megawatts. Now, what I What I find compelling about this subject we're covering today is that it gives meteorologists a tool for forecasting energy supply. So if it's windy, you can count on your wind assets, and if it's cloudy, you can expect a reduction in your solar assets across the country. One of the things I'm always drawn to when it comes to energy technology is a technology's ability to take the biggest detractor away from a conventional energy technology. For instance, we've got carbon capture for removing CO2 from coal, or water recycling, reducing the need for more water during hydraulic fracturing. That gets us to the topic of this episode, what to do about the reliability issue when it comes to renewables. Okay, enough of that. For those of you who don't know, Duke Energy is headquartered here in Charlotte, and when I first started thinking about this program, I very naively asked if I could talk to them about their renewable energy center. And you have to hand it to them. They said yes. Now, I could have gone up there and acted like a complete maniac. And the fact that they gave me the time of day makes them extremely cool in my book. So hats off to Duke. The first thing that's fun to mention is where they're located. Daytona 500. Here they come off turn four for the final time. Kurt Busch for Gene Haas and Tony Stewart. No, it's not Talladega, although that's pretty close. They share an office space in NASCAR's headquarters in downtown Charlotte. And if you're in town, you gotta check out the Hall of Fame that's there in that building. Now, picture one of those control rooms like the kind you've seen with NASA or a big TV studio only better lit. Monitors track action across the country. And that's right, the Renewable Control Center oversees assets outside of Duke's territory as well as those that the utility currently owns. That's where I caught up with Brandon Edmondson, Duke's Renewable Control Center manager. I mic'd us both up and prior to the sit-down interview, I thought it might be good to do a little walk-in talk to show me what we were seeing on the screens. Oh, and and by the way, we're both wired up to the same recording device, so we had to walk around like Siamese twins and had to be careful not to clothesline somebody walking between us. Here we go. Let's, let's take a, and see how we can do this. Right, stay close. Okay, we're here with Brandon. We're going through the center. Uh, how, how long has the center been around?
1: So the uh, Renewable Control Center's been around since 2009. It's always been in Charlotte, North Carolina. We started out with one operator per shift. It was a five person rotation. And now we're at about six operators per shift on a four team rotation. We, we provide weather data and also uh, severe lightning, uh, weather and lightning data to customers that Looking for those type of services for their technician safety.
0: Okay. So what you've got here is you've got several uh, rings around the country, and you've got uh, yellow rings in, in outside of red rings, what, 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 are, what are those?
1: The, uh, the yellow rings and the red rings are alerts and warning locations for the wind and the solar farm. So on the solar farms, we have a 10 mile and a 30 mile ring. And if a lightning strike or a severe weather storm comes within those rings, a text alert is sent to the technician. For wind, uh, it's a 60 and a 30 mile. So at 60 miles, they get uh, an alert. At 30 miles, they get a warning to come down tower. You know, find a safe place for 30 minutes before turning to work. Currently, looking at the screen, you know there's some lightning in Pennsylvania today. Uh, those technicians are currently not working at those sites um, until that storm passes. The, and, the most and
0: important thing, other than just ensuring that we have reliability and we're expecting what we're expecting out of the assets, is also, you know, the safety component. Right. That's right. So that, you
1: you know you have a technician 300 foot in the air. If there's lightning or a severe storm coming through, whether it's you know a tornado or hurricane, a hailstorm, whatever it is, we want to make sure they're out of the turbine uh, in a safe grounded building same for our solar facilities they're they're in the wide open there if there's a storm in the area we want to make sure they find an o building or get in a vehicle or something until the storm passes how long does it usually take for a technician say he's on top of a wind turbine how
0: long does it take him to get down off of a typical tower
1: depending on what they're doing and what they have to secure as far as tooling to get both technicians down and get in a safe place you're probably talking a minimum of 30 minutes right and he's he's going down a ladder essentially Actually, right? Yes, A ladder yes. inside the, the tower. Yeah, all of uh, the Duke Energy turbines have cysts you know uh, mm-hmm. that that takes some weight off of you as you go down the tower but they still have to climb that tower down. And so here we
0: see right below that we see we got the cameras and everything just kind of monitoring here is there anything particular you're looking for? Are you just making sure that there's not people there who shouldn't be there or is there anything extra that you'd be looking at in say the, these pictures of these uh, solar farms that we're seeing?
1: We do remote camera monitoring at all of our solar plants. The facilities are unmanned on a daily basis. You know, some of our larger plants, we have an 80 megawatt NERC plant that has technicians there nearly every day. Some of our smaller plants do not have boots on the ground on a daily basis. You know, we have these cameras to get a little bit more insight. Severe weather at the site. We found brush fires alongside the site. Wild animals on site. Children getting under fences. You know, those wow. kind of things. So it, it gives us a, a look into the site of what's going on at a facility where there may not be somebody there for a few days at a time. And then we also do it for technician safety. A lot of these solar plants have lone workers. You know, they're working alone for a full day and it gives us a little bit more visibility into what that technician's doing versus when where everybody works in teams of two. And I can understand
0: that. I used to work in, uh, I was in the oil field, you know, we would have a lot of guys go out there, one man banding, you know, by themselves on the lease roads and stuff. And yeah, I mean, you get bit by a rattlesnake. Right. You're on your own. Uh, and so this is really uh, good to see that you can see
1: what's going on there. But a lot more safety component than I was expecting here and and our control center is managed 24 7 365 on the wind side and then on solar we have 18 hours of coverage per day so that's sun up in the Carolinas to sundown in California where we have assets as well and then here we are uh, back in Texas I take it this is the ERCOT yes sir that's the ERCOT market so we we monitor the pricing there that's the only market where we're in the merchant market so we like to keep an eye on that pricing and uh, help us better understand when curtailments come through and type of things may be the reason why we're seeing those type of notices so. okay uh, looks like it's very hot around DFW
0: probably down to Waco right now yes sir what, what was that what was that telling you
1: well actually um, you know here in the blue you know there's really low pricing right now and some of it's even getting real close to going negative pricing when you look at the the bright red that's where they the demand is higher and there's not a lot of generation so they're raising the prices to to get more generators out there uh, producing and I see we have uh, both the weather Channel on and CNN, and
0: I just wanted to point this out that my sister's at CNN and my uh, brother in law is at
1: Weather Channel. So if they're listening to this, they know that uh, Duke is fans. We're watching them, yeah. So, that, yeah, uh, definitely Great. it helps us keep up with uh, you know any severe weather across the country. We have it was, I guess, a year or so ago, the San Bernardino attack. Uh, we actually saw that, uh, we caught it on the CNN news, and we had some sites nearby, so we were able to notify those technicians, get them to. To a secure area until the, the suspects were caught uh, in that situation, so that kind of helps us when we have sites nearby.
0: Now this looks, what, what we got over here? We're kind of on our la- uh, last two rows of screens here. What is, a, so what on is the, this telling us? on
1: the top two screens, that's our energy management system that, that looks into our uh, substations, so all of our NERC sites are in these views so we can see what the megawatt outputs are of the site are, uh, what the max cap set points of the site that the transmission operator is allowing us to produce. The line voltages, the breaker statuses, you can see up there that everything uh, is in red. So red's good uh, in, in the energy world. You know, green right. means it's open. So right now, those all those breakers are closed in and we're producing. You talk about curtailment. Kind of take us through what you mean by that. So curtailment's always based on uh, if there's not enough demand out there for what you're producing. Uh, if there's uh, too much production and there's congestion uh, on the transmission system, uh, those are the two main reasons you would be curtailed. You might not have enough production out there because the site went down you know, unexpectedly, and they're asking for other generators to, to pick up that uh, generation. Or, or you have a situation where there's, there's uh, especially in Texas, there's a lot of wind assets, and on a really strong, good wind day, they almost have too much generation. So they'll curtail some of the generators back uh, to manage that uh, load. If, if there's too much load, they have to cut back so that they don't overextend the lines right. and stuff, stuff like that.
0: Uh, when I was working in Texas for the coal group, there were some coal plants that were out in West Texas that had to compete with the, with the line for the renewable assets and so there was a little bit of friction there so is this where that decision happens you know you could curtail back the renewable in favor for your base load I mean where is that decision happening so
1: yeah yeah the system operator uh in in the ERCOT market is is sending those curtailment directives to Duke Energy Renewables. so we're getting those directives uh they're all automated into our energy management system Mm -hmm. so they send a curtailment flag either based It's they'll send a negative price and once they send negative pricing you don't want to produce in a negative market because you're paying them to take the energy they'll normally Push out negative pricing, and the generators will start to come offline. Understand. Uh, you know, whoever was flagged to uh, curtail uh, will come offline for that reason. It's my understanding that
0: you guys also have, in addition to your wind and your your solar assets, you also have some battery assets, right? To kind of yes. help and things out. Is that correct?
1: Yes, sir. So we have a, a large 36 megawatt uh, battery plant in uh, No Trees, Texas, that's tied to uh, one of our wind facilities. They share a substation. It's 36 megawatt plant. It's uh, uh, regulation up regulation down we provide frequency control to try to smooth out you know some of that transmission and the and the changes in frequency so that's really what that's used for and uh, ERCOT loves it from what we've heard you know there's not there's not any other uh, battery plants that I'm aware of that size in Texas so that, that helps them a lot out there in the um, the western side uh, where there's a lot of wind generators that that cause those frequency issues on the transmission. The battery is basically the accordion in the whole system
0: Situation, right? I yeah, mean, that's
1: a good way to put it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We uh, did a retrofit of uh, lithium-ion, uh, just due to the the cycling of the lead acid. They did not hold up, um, so we've we've changed the technology and we're getting a lot better response out of the batteries. And uh, the constant uh, discharge and charge of those is not uh, depleting the life cycle like it was the lead acid. You're doing
0: wind and solar mainly. Uh, will there ever be a time when other renewables, such as wave energy might be added to the center?
1: I think it could it could come our way uh, down the road. I, I think traditionally Duke Energy Renewables has is, is gone after proven technologies. The battery project was a good example of uh, us diving into something new. We, we have other parts of the business that are looking at microgrids and some of those type of things. So uh, who knows, maybe in the control center in the future we'll, we'll be monitoring microgrids as well. Meteorology, let's
0: talk about that, uh, plays a huge part in all of this. Uh, my family has a few on-air personnel in fact, but there are meteorologists who are not in front of the camera playing a huge role in the energy sector. Tell us a little bit about that. I think people really don't understand that that meteorology plays a huge role in in, in utilities.
1: Yes, I agree. It's it's probably. Uh one of the biggest pieces of, of our daily our daily uh, nominations declarations we put out into the markets we have to have a dependable forecast whether it's based on wind speed or solar irradiance and then you know from the sites we have to have an accurate estimate of what's going to be available so the you know the weather forecast and the availability of the site is what we use to come up with that calculation of what we're going to produce and what we send to the off or to the transmission provider that gets me to my next point where, which
0: I find very compelling is that for years meteorology was used to determine what we believe the demand might be if it's going to be 90 degrees outside. We can assume there's going to be a lot of air conditioners on, right? But now with renewables, it's really meteorologists are predicting what the what the supply is going to be, right? And and that's a different dynamic and right. something that's extremely critical for reliability when you
1: say of renewables. Yeah, exactly. And and the importance of knowing the forecast for us is to make sure that if we have a good forecast uh, coming our way in the day ahead or whatever that that we have those units available cuz that's our fuel you know renewables is a free fuel but you want to capture that fuel while it's there because uh, if your units aren't available to absorb that fuel, then you lose it. You know, lost generation, lost revenue. So it's very important that uh, you pay attention to those forecasts. You schedule your outages accordingly when you have low winds or low low solar radiance, uh, or you do your solar maintenance at night or whatever you got to do to try to reduce the amount of generation loss. Uh,
0: there was clearly a need to bring a facility like this online. What was the real driver uh, to do so?
1: So for the uh, the NERC the NERC entities, uh, you know they have to be monitored 24/7. It's a uh, it's a requirement. Um, so I think that was the initial driver. The requirements to have eyes on the sites at all times and be able to, to control them. Uh, if there was an issue an emergency, and the transmission operator or grid operator, you know, needs you to take the site offline, change a voltage, change the output. You know, somebody has to be there to control that remotely. And uh, and that's why we're we're here, that's what, that's what got it all started. And now that's moved into a lot of third-party services for other owners, uh, other renewable energy owners who, who need those same things, uh, but may not have a control center. You you have a boss like we
0: all do. Clearly, there were metrics that need to be to show improved performance on the renewable assets. What are some key performance indicators that uh, the, the center is, is is helping renewables get more out of those assets?
1: Yeah, so we're uh, here in the control center. We're held to um, the availability of units. You know, are they online and available? And then also owner energy yield, which is uh, when the resource is there, were we available? you know so there's two different metrics availability is just are you there all the time Uh, and then the owner energy yield is were you there when the resource was there and able to produce and then with with forecasting making sure that we forecasted what the plan a day from the site said to forecast based on the weather i would
0: assume you've seen improvement since you began in
1: 2009 to now right absolutely yeah we treat this just like you would treat any other uh, large utility scale generation each generator or us it's just like a, a a combined cycle or a you know a coal plant, whatever you want to call it, you know we we treat it the same way. In
0: the early days of renewables, uh, it seemed that there was maybe this theoretical threshold percentage of renewable assets that could be on the grid at any time. Otherwise, maybe reliability might suffer. Uh, is, is that still the case? Is there still like a threshold of say thirty percent that we can only have? 30% of renewables on the grid, uh, or, or is that kind of
1: way of thinking? I, I've seen a big change since I've been with Duke Renewables. I've been with them eight years, and and in the beginning, uh, a lot of these larger NERC sites that really had a big effect on the systems were heavily curtailed. You know, the transmission uh, was not there to to manage the amount of assets in, in certain areas. You know, you saw daily curtailments, uh, sometimes weeks on end. You know, they would be curtailed to a certain Uh, reduced amount or all the way to the zero output so you know you see a lot less of that now I think there's been a lot of transmission improvements uh, in the areas that have had a lot of renewable construction so that's helped Uh, and I think a lot of people have um uh, transmission operators are, are learning how to manage that uh, type of generation on the system better.
0: By having one one location that can see a lot of assets around the country, as opposed to say, just the asset in Duke's territories, it would seem that there's been a great opportunity for data mining here. Uh, have you discovered any trends that maybe you haven't noticed before? Uh, maybe in the behavior of, of solar assets or the behavior of, of wind assets? Uh, has that given uh, generators a little bit of a leg up on maybe where to site Potentially new solar assets or wind assets because uh, they performed or outperformed or underperformed better than than expected.
1: I think as uh, you know, as the as our group's grown, um, you you can see our focus has shifted to different areas of the country and and we have a lot of assets in southern Texas. You know, it's uh, you know good good resort wind resource there, and there's been a lot of focus on development there. You know, in solar, it's been heavily driven by the you know the the tax incentives and some of those type of things. Uh, I feel and uh, we have a lot of concentration in North Carolina and California with the recent incentives we had there so you know I think it's you know resource driven and and incentive driven I think what I'm trying to get at is, you know, you've built this center
0: and it's it's a great resource for the people out in the field. But at the same time, you're gleaning a lot of information. Regional facilities might not might be able to get a little bit of a low-level snapshot of what's going on in the area, but you're able to see what's going on in the whole country. You know, I mean, right. and, and, and all nationwide. And I would have to think that that would be a, a huge asset for uh, just really us understanding the renewable potential in this. country. Country.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, with with my background being in solar operations, we had uh, our engineering technologist in the center was a wind and a battery plant manager. You know, we have a lot of people that brought field experience into the control center. You know, bring a lot of insight of the day-to-day issues that are seen in the field, so we can better understand what's going on in the field and how to help them better. And kind of looking at the weather patterns over the years and understanding, you know, when the resources are are not as strong, you know, it really helps us with our added outage scheduling. When you're going to have those lost revenue uh, times a year for for scheduled outages and planned substation outages and stuff like that, it's helped us to better manage that and reduce our revenue losses. Yeah, that's what I think is also pretty
0: interesting, and I've seen this happen before. That a a lot of times you learn the most from just going bottom up you know the guys are actually there in there uh, able to provide their
1: insights when you're looking at something from a 10,000 foot level we've had really strong operators come from field technician roles you know wind and solar technicians people that have been in different type of dispatch jobs whether it's a service type dispatch a generation dispatch or a distribution dispatcher we've had people from 911 dispatching you know so you know have different backgrounds, used to the schedules, maybe have some technical expertise in a mechanical field or renewables and being able to bring that in and and be successful. Uh, what are your plans for the future? More assets? Uh, you know, I think our focus specifically this year is is the growth of third-party business. Uh, we're looking to to continue growth there, and uh, and provide services for more asset owners. So you believe that you're able to leverage up your scale for a lot of these more independent
0: producers to give them to help them maximize their assets. You know, basically just stronger together, right? Right.
1: You know, and the and the you know I think the advantage Duke has over a lot of companies is, is we have the back. Of Duke Energy and all of the cybersecurity and all the other shared services with when it comes to NERC, you know, requirements and and having all that internal knowledge. I mean, the same groups that support nuclear and coal and hydro and all the others help support renewables. So we we have a I think we have a leg up with with simply just with the security and how Duke treats uh, its renewable assets very similar to a traditional
0: regulated asset. You talked about you're you're measuring your performance. Uh, what are things that you're working to improve? Predicting outages, power supply from
1: forecasting. Yeah, I think I think our our focus right now is is with outage scheduling. Uh, you know, this year we're really trying to focus on um, increasing our revenues any way we can. So so managing when you when you schedule the outages is very important, and also making sure that uh, all the communications for these outages is is tracked and approved properly. Because you're able to supply this service and this monitoring
0: and everything, it's Seems like that helps with the barriers to entry for investors who are wanting to bring new renewable assets online.
1: A lot of our competition, you go to, are going to have the same type of technology repeated multiple times over. You know, every site's going to have a similar type of turbine technology. We've broadened our scope and uh, and we go after anything and everything that makes sense for our business.
0: Well, there you have it, the Duke Renewable Control Center. We've been speaking to Brandon Edmondson, the manager there, and a few extra facts about the center that are currently monitoring 4.7 gigawatts of renewable assets and plan to get up to five this year. About two thirds of those assets belong to Duke, and the rest are third party. Brandon says he believes the center can ultimately oversee. 10 gigawatts. Also a little postscript concerning my sis and her husband looks like they're going to have a little weather baby later this year. No word yet on if the nursery for the little guy will be chroma key blue. Uh, Congratulations to them. Can't wait to meet the little neffers. Uh, special thanks to Tammy McGee and the Duke Communication Department who helped make this happen. And I also want to thank those who helped make this happen closer to home. I want to thank my wife, Ashley, above all, for having the patience with me to put this together on weekends. I also want to thank Sean Stroop, who composed the music for this podcast. I met Sean when he played at my wedding a few years ago. So if you like what you hear, you can find him at Stroop. That's S T R. O-O-P-E, Loops. You can reach me at host at energy-cast.com. And of course, there's energy-cast.com, where I have some pictures and extra info on the topic discussed today. Thank you again for listening and join us next week when we witness nothing big, just history being baited in hydrogen fuel cell technology. I'm Jay Dallenhauer. We'll see you next time.